in the beginning. Good morning. Hey, just a reminder, Meg talked about it. Uh, we have free Advent guides. Um, encourage you just maybe to go to the information counter, peruse these a little bit, and grab which one seems to uh, resonate with you. But these are free. They're at the information counter. Uh, I really do think the tickets are going to sell out. We were trying to figure out how many to hold back even for this service. So if you're planning on coming or bringing anybody to the Christmas uh, event, today is the day. Don't get mad at me next week when we don't have any tickets. Because we don't have tickets, it's because we don't have seats. But anyway, uh, I want to start today's sermon by asking you some questions. Uh, and I really would love for you just to think about how you would answer this question if a friend of yours came and, and asked you, how would you frame the answers to the following questions? When did all the different world languages and different people groups, where did they come from? Where did all the different languages and people groups come from? Is the diversity of language the result of sin? Is it good or bad to have different governmental powers around the world? Would it be better for us to have one world government? And what does the story of Babel have to do with us today? We're going to continue our journeys through the book of Genesis, and this week we are going to unpack the story of Babel. And if I do my job right, you're going to see uh, the answer to these questions and a few more that flow out of this uh, profound text. So grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9, Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9. Encourage you to bring a Bible with you. If you have a Bible that you study at home, bring that with you. If you don't have a journal, uh, we are out of journals, but we're going to order more. You can get a journal from us. We're just barely into Genesis. So uh, that's uh, something you can use as well. There's Bibles under your seat. If you are online, uh, as Karen said, thank you for joining us. Please have a Bible in front of you. Uh, you're just going to retain more if you turn to the text, if you follow along with the text, if you take a few notes, underline keywords, key phrases. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one under your seat. If you're at home uh, online and you don't own a Bible, come by the church. We would be pretty excited to give you a Bible of your own. Uh, before I read, I want to do just a little bit of uh, where we've come so far in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 uh, deal with the story of mankind as a whole, right? It's the creation story. How did the cosmos come into being? How did the human race come into being? Who are the human race? So it's this, this beautiful picture of, of the, the big picture of all mankind. But when we get to chapter 12, the next chapter, uh, the focus narrows to one branch of all of humanity, the descendants of Abraham. So we go from this global story to one family and one story. And in the story of Babel that we're about to look at is the last story of all mankind. It's the last big picture story, if you will. And it's also important to remember, I've been saying this almost every week when I've been preaching through Genesis, is that Genesis is written to a specific group of people for a specific reason. Genesis is written to the Israelites, right, who have just been liberated from captivity and, and slavery in Egypt as they wander through the wilderness, getting ready to take possession of the land of 
Canaan. So last week when we looked at Noah's sons and one of the sons' name was Ham, and three different occasions last week in that chapter, every time they mentioned Ham, they would say the father of the Canaanites. And it begs the question, why didn't he talk about his other three sons? Why didn't he talk about Ham has four sons? Why are we just keep talking about Ham and the Canaanites? Because the Israelites are going through the wilderness to take possession of Canaan, right? They are about to go into battle with the Canaanites. So it's, it's very specific because it's specific to their story. Remember when we talked about the Nephilim, those giants that lived in, in that passage that's so confusing in early Genesis? Why would they talk about that? Because if you remember, when they get to Canaan and the spies go in, they see big people and they think those big people are Nephilim and they refuse to take the land. It's very specific to a group of people at a specific time. And God is saying, look, those giants, those, those big people are no match for the power of God. One more thing, chapters 1 through 11, uh, it deals with creation, deals with all humanity, right? And I just, I just want to remind you, it focuses from this point on. Once we get past Babel, we're going to focus on one family, one small clan of people in the lineage that changes the course of history. We're going to see how it all lines up with Jesus. Even the story of Babel has much to do with Jesus. All right, stand as I read Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Take a deep breath, Doug. All right, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had a brick for stone and butamen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed, and that word dispersed in some of your translations is scattered. The Lord dispersed or scattered them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed or scattered them over the face of the earth. Lord, thank you for uh, this story. Thank you for how you have... Um, just brought new levels of understanding and meaning to me personally. I pray that as I teach through this, that uh, uh, you would use my words uh, just to touch the hearts of the people here, that uh, they wouldn't be my words, but they would be the Spirit's words. And I pray that anything that is of me would fall away. Anything that's of the Spirit would just land in good soil, that it would have deep roots, that it would bear fruit. Our prayer every Sunday is that we would leave different than we came because we have encountered the living God who knows us, he knows us by name. He knows every hair on our head. He knit us together in our mother's womb. Thank you that you are a God who knows us personally and you know us corporately. Pray that you would move in this room, that you would move on this broadcast. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
So there's this reoccurring pattern in Genesis that uh, if you're not careful, it can create a little bit of confusion. The writer of Genesis often tells us something interesting or something fascinating and then kind of doubles back and tells us how that interesting or fascinating thing actually came to be. So we see this in the creation story. Opening chapters of creation, we have the seven days of creation, and then all of a sudden, as we get beyond that, we start talking about creation again. And what the author's doing is saying, God created the heavens and the earth, here's how he did it. And then he says, oh, let me give you a little more detail about the creation story. Some people say there's two creation stories, but that's just lazy exegesis work. It's just the author saying it's kind of like when you watch a movie and you see the last scene of the movie, right? You've seen a movie like this and then all of a sudden it's like a flashback and they tell you everything that took place leading up to that last scene in the movie. That's kind of the, the author's rhythm in Genesis. So if you have your journals or your Bible still open, if you look at Genesis 10, we got Genesis 10, which is telling us these are Noah's descendants. This is all the different places where Noah's descendants went. And it keeps repeating this phrase. So we see it the first time in 10.5. From these, the coastland people spread to their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. Right? And we see this exact phrase. So again, if you're underlining in your Bible, you can underline that. Each with his own language, by their clans and his nations. Then you're going to see it again in verse 20. And then you're going to see it again in verse 31. Right? And so they, this is all the people, all the nations, they go. They have their own language. They become their own nations. And then you got this kind of summary verse in verse 32. It says, these are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations, and from these nations spread abroad the earth after the flood. Verse 32 feels like a wonderful way to finish a story. But the problem is, if you read chapter 10, there is a question that emerges. How does one group of people that descend from one man end up with all kinds of different languages, right? I mean, it just would make sense. They would all speak the same if they all have the same heritage and the same problem. So, so the author is saying, let me give you a little bit more detail. Actually, if you think about it, God has commanded the people, go multiply and fill the earth. And if you read chapter 10, it sounds like, oh, they were very obedient. They did that. But chapter 11 is sort of saying, well, not exactly obedient, okay? So that's what we, what we have here. So the opening verses, uh, or the verses in chapter 10 tell us the story, and then we get into 11, and it's telling us how that story came to be. It is not written in chronological order. Chapter 11 is telling us how chapter 10 happened. So the people, when it says the people, it's talking about the majority of the people's population. They travel, they come to a valley, they say, this valley is beautiful, it's awesome. They discover a way to build by burning bricks, by cooking bricks in an oven. They discover a way to keep the bricks by, together by, through this process of mortar that they talk about. And they make a decision. The people, the world's population, just get that. Like these are the, the majority of all the people in the world at the time are going to land and, and build a city in, the city, in in this valley. So we're at verse 4 of chapter 11. They say to themselves, the people, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
So there's four parts to their plan. I want you to see it because then it brings context to everything we're talking about. The first part of their plan is they want to build a city for mankind. One great city that will house the entire world population. Now, if you have any sense of history, if you have any sense of understanding of the, the sheer quantity of people, it's virtually impossible for one city, one valley, one continent for that matter, to support all of mankind in one place. So that's a little problematic that they're going to build a city for all human population. The second part is they say, let us build a tower. Now it's easy to miss this, but the tower was actually a temple. It was probably to the false god Marduk, so they're building a temple and they say, let us build this tower. And they're, they're building the tower with an attempt to reach into the heavens, to commingle with the gods and to be like the gods, right? So they're building a tower. It's actually a temple. The third part of their plan is it says, let us make a name for ourselves. The leaders actually want to be worshiped. Right? They want to build a city. They want to rule the city. They want all the people in the city to, to come under their leadership and their rules, and they want to make a name for themselves. They are seeking the glory for themselves that is reserved for God himself. And then the last part, which tells you that they knew what they were doing was wrong, it says that they did it to avoid being dispersed or scattered over the face of the earth. God had already commanded them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth right? Be scattered, go fill the earth. And they're basically saying, we know that's what God wants, but let's do it this way so that we don't have to be dispersed among the city. They're in opposition to God. They're in opposition to the ways of God. And I'll say it again. You could ask the question like, so, so why isn't it okay for them to build a city? The easiest answer to that is it's just physically impossible for the world's population to live in one place. One of the reasons God wants to disperse amongst the entire population amongst the world is so that the world can support the population, simply put. Okay, writer then uses this interesting play on words, probably lost on most of us because we don't know Hebrew, but he actually says that the temple or the tower that they built was so puny and so minuscule that God himself had to come down just to see it. Now, we know this is sort of hyperbole, but it's written that way on purpose to say that God, so if you look at verse 5, it said, and the Lord came down to see the city. It's not like he couldn't see it from where he was, but the author wants us to see that all of man's attempts to reach into the heavens and to be like God are fruitless. We also see in this passage that they are called the sons of man, or some translations say the sons of Adam, and their sin isn't much different than the sin of Adam. If you remember, their forefather Adam, he wanted to be like God, right? He wanted to be uh, his own ruler. He wanted to have autonomy from God, right? And so they're saying, we're gonna, we're gonna do our thing. We're gonna reach the heavens. We are going to be like God. God comes down. God torts their plans. He confuses them with different languages and God scatters them to fill the earth. Here's the interesting fact. The diversity of language and people groups is not the result of sin. The sin was they refused to do what God had told them to do, but it was always God's plan to disperse the people. So, so the diversity isn't, isn't the sin. It's the refusal to do what God wanted them to do that's the sin. They were told to scatter. They refused to scatter 
So God scatters them. So apart from giving context and, and hopefully helping you to understand the story just a little bit better and where did the diverse nations and where did the diverse languages come from, what's the significance of the story of Babel? How does this story fit into the context of the Bible as a whole? If there's one thing that's been sort of a burden for me over the last several weeks as we've been teaching through Genesis or maybe a different way for me to say it, if there's one thing that I could just impart to you that you would just hold on to is that the Bible is one story. And I think we do it in just kind of an and we say, this is the Old Testament, this is the New Testament. We even have this concept of this is the God of the Old Testament, this is the God of the New Testament. We kind of break them apart, all the different books and all the prophecies. And if you could just get to the place where you understand, like, this is one story about one God and about his act of redemption to bring about the saving of the world. Everything in Genesis points towards Jesus. Right? And the more we understand that as we're reading through the scriptures, the more it'll help us to have this, this deeper understanding. So there's one book, one Bible. In the story of, of, of Babel, right, it, it, it's as strange as that story is, it gives us context for Pentecost. It gives us context for the early church. And it gives us context for the book of Revelation. So I'm going to talk about all three of those just so that you can see how this one story fits together. First of all, it gives us context for, the, for Pentecost. If you don't know what Pentecost is, I'm going to read the story of Pentecost for you right now. This is Acts 2, starting in verse 1. I'm going to come up here so you don't need to look it up. But it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, there was 120 people in the room, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire, and appeared on him, and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from, fascinating, every nation under heaven, and at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. I've heard it taught uh, from other pastors, and I even read it this week in some of my, my study, that Pentecost reversed Babel. It didn't reverse Babel. We still have distinct languages. We still have dis distinct diversity of people groups. But the two stories are both strikingly similar, yet in some ways they are completely opposite. Let me tell you what I mean. Babel is meant to bring confusion and Pentecost brings clarity. Let me say that again. Babel was meant to bring confusion, and Pentecost was meant to bring clarity. Babel divided the nations, and Pentecost brought the nations back together in a powerful way. Pentecost showed this, this group of followers that the diversity of languages, the diversity of, of people groups is no match for the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen is right. So Jesus said to his followers, right, before this all happened, he commissioned them. I love the word co-missioned them. He sent them on mission, and he said that they are to take the message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's just a poetic, creative way of saying you are to take the message to every 
one. Take the good news of who I am and what I've done to the entire world. It's just a, a, a God incidence. It's not a coincidence. It's a God incidence that we are studying the, the book of, of Genesis. We're in the story of Babel and we're just beginning the missions and mobilization. It's a picture of what we are called to do. Take the message of Jesus to everyone. And Pentecost served to let them know God is going to provide a way. He's going he's to be the one to bridge the language gap. He's going to allow you to go forth to all the nations and proclaim this incredible truth. But in the story of Acts, something fascinating happens. They are commanded to be scattered. They're commanded to disperse, right? But right out of the chute, the early church does exactly what the people of Babel do. They love what they have. They're like, this is a good thing. Look, God is moving. It, it's awesome. This is so cool. Look what God is doing. And they refuse to disperse. As a matter of fact, they, they, they form this holy huddle and they don't disperse all the way until we get to Acts chapter 8. Look what it says in Acts chapter 8. It said, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered. I'm going to circle back to this in just a minute. God says go. God says be scattered. They refuse to be scattered, so they are scattered. Do you get the difference? You can do it out of obedience, right? Or you can do it out of God's judgment. I would rather do it out of obedience. Again, I'll circle back to this in a minute. So, so the question I asked earlier is, is God opposed to one world government? Is God opposed to a monolithic superpower, if you will? And the truth of the matter is, no, God is not opposed to it. As a matter of fact, Revelation tells us that there will be a day and a time when Jesus establishes his reign and rule over every tribe and every nation. We will in time have a monolithic superpower that we follow, and Jesus will sit on the throne, and he will reign, and he will rule. But here's the deal. Since the fall of man, there has never been, and I know some people don't like hearing this, but there has never been a godly nation. There just never has been a nation that follows God all the way. Even Israel failed to follow God. They did things their own way. They, it says they, they did what was right in their own minds. They worshiped false gods. And every nation is built on the backs of oppression of other people because that's our fallen nature. So never been and never will be a godly, truly godly nation until Jesus establishes his reign and rule that we see and revelations. Interesting though, Revelation tells us that there will be a power that rises up. Interestingly enough, throughout Revelations, it tells us that the power that rises up, that, that, that becomes a one world government, is called Babylon. It's the same word as Babel. This, this power rises up and it, and, and it tries to rule the one that says, and, and in that time, Christians will come under immense persecution. So God will indeed, he's going to allow a world power to arise, but, but look what Revelation says. Revelation says that in a single hour, it will come under judgment and Babylon will be destroyed. Second Thessalonians, I love the way it says it. It says, and then the lawless one, that's the beast, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. With just a word, he will wipe him out and bring nothing 
by the appearance of his coming. Like the city of Babel fails, so the city of Babylon will fail with just a breath. Jesus destroys it. But I love the promise of Revelation. I want you to see the promise of Revelation and how it connects to the story of Babel. Revelation 5, 9, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, talking about Jesus, to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain by your blood, and you ransomed the people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. All humankind, don't miss this, all humankind in all of its diversity, in all of the differences, come together in unity under Christ. It's to the glory of God that the people have different languages, different nations, and they all come together under Christ. It's all about Jesus and, and what he does when he brings unity amidst our diversity. Christianity is not a tribal religion. It is for every nation and every tongue. So Babel gives us context for the gospel. It gives us context for the early church. It gives us context for Revelation. It's one story, one long, beautiful story about God's act to redeem the world. And while all that is fascinating and interesting, the question is, what does it have to do with us today? I'm glad you asked. Here's what I would say. The Bible serves as a, or the story of Babel serves as a warning. It serves as a calling. And it serves as a promise. I'm going to talk about each one of those. The warning. You and I are sons and daughters of Adam. And we need to be on guard about our own sinful nature. We need to be cognizant of our pride and the sin of wanting to bring attention to ourselves, of making a name for ourselves. The warning is, is, is to be on guard because even the most noble of enterprises can quickly go astray. You know, a church can start with all of the right desires, all of the right ideas. We're going to start a church and we're going to reach people for the name of Jesus. And it can quickly become its own entity where the, the leaders of the church are elevated to hero status. And, and it's all about bringing a name to the church and not a name to Jesus. We have this innate ability to take the very gifts God has given us and turning them into idols. Money can become an idol, your children can become an idol, your job can become an idol, your skills and your talents can become an idol, your education can become an idol. And if we know that, then we also ought to have the, the wherewithal to take those things that God has given us and continually lay them down to Jesus and say, I, I don't want this to be an idol in my life. There was a point in time when I was raising my kids when they were quite young still, when it was really crystal clear to me that my kids had become an idol. That, that I was actually more concerned with how they made me look than how they behaved. Like, like if they behaved the right way, it would make a name for myself. But if they didn't, they made me look bad. I was more upset because they made me look bad than 
the fact that they were lacking in some character place. And, and it just was crystal clear in that moment that God was like, your kids are an idol. The very gifts God gives us can quickly become an idol. The scriptures say are we, we are to do everything to the glory of God. You're supposed to do everything you do to make God famous, not you famous. Right? So you, so you, you, you need to do it the best you can. Be the best you can be in your job, in your, on your sports team, in, in your academics. It, 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 this isn't about not striving to be good. It's about doing it, but doing it to bring glory to the God who gave you those gifts, who gave you those talents, who gave you those children, who gave you that job, who gave you breath in your lungs this morning when you woke up. The warning is against pride, the desire to make a name for ourselves. The calling is to go. The calling is to be scattered. The great commission is to go to every tongue and every nation. Don't become a holy huddle. This happens all the time in our small groups. Again, we have this, this moment with God where people come together in this community of believers or meeting in somebody's living room or in one of the living rooms here at the church and God is doing this really good work and, and it's awesome and, and it's so good and I'm growing spiritually. And then the group says, let's not invite anyone else in here because we don't want to mess it up. This is so good. Let's just keep meeting. No, we don't. And people will say, well, no, we're not letting anybody else in because what we have is really, really good. Right, and I understand that, and I've been guilty of that. It's like we're hoarding the good thing God is doing, and we fail to recognize, you know that thing that you discovered in your small group, that person sitting in the aisle just two people down from you, they need that good thing too, right? And, and God will provide, God's gonna do it, but he, he never wanted us to hoard it. Or the, the, It's like we're trying to contain the gospel. The gospel can't be contained, right? And here's the deal. You're either gonna scatter or you're gonna be scattered, I really believe this. Every mature believer at Grace Community Church should have a group of people that are meeting in their home to grow spiritually. Not because we have a small groups ministry, but because that's the gospel. Because we are called to be scattered. We're called to take the message of Jesus Christ to other people. Open your home, open your dining room table, open your living room, bring people together and grow together in Christ. Christianity was never meant to be a solo endeavor. It is a community of faith that help one another to grow and be stronger in the faith. The calling is to go. Be scattered. I love that we're in missions and mobilization. We get to go to all people. We support partners here in Detroit. We support partners around the United States. We support partners in, in different countries. It's a beautiful thing. But when we support Eagle Sports, we're going. Our money is helping us to go. When we support, when you teach a child to read in the name of Jesus, you're participating in the Great Commission. So the warning is to be guarded against making a name for yourself. The calling is to go, be scattered. And the promise, and I love the promise, you have everything you need. You will not fail. Let me read the Great Commission for you. These are the words of Jesus. He said, all authority have been given, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority, by the way. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
All authority has been given to me. I promise to go with you, right? I am with you sometimes. Nope, doesn't say that. I am with you always to the end of the age. You're not alone. You have a really good partner. His name is Jesus, right? And some of you are like, well, I just don't know enough theology. I just don't know. Look, if you have encountered Jesus and he has changed your life, you have everything you need to tell somebody else about Jesus. Just tell them your story, right? Quit waiting. You are commissioned to go. And it's better to be scattered. It's better to scatter ourselves than to be scattered. Now, some of you might be called to go across the ocean. Some of you might be called to go somewhere else in the country. Maybe you're called to go across town, but you're called. You're called to go across the street. You're called to minister to your neighbors. Every believer in this room is called. If you're waiting to be commissioned, you've been commissioned by Jesus himself. Again, you don't have to be a theologian. Just share your experience with God. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's really not about your words anyway. It's about your obedience. And you may be surprised sometimes. Uh, I'm surprised by this. Sometimes the worst messages I preach, somebody's like, that was, that was the best message I've ever heard, and it changed my life. And I'm like, that's because it's about the Holy Spirit and not about me. Right? Go. Just tell people your story and see how God shows up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Babel. I thank you for the, the relevance of this crazy story in our lives today. I pray that we would be a people who are scattered, that we would take your message to the people, especially like in this Christmas season. It's just, it's not that hard to have conversations about God, conversations about Jesus Lord, help us to understand that we are empowered, that we are sent with Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is in us. The same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in each one of us, and you promise to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine according to the power of that Spirit in each one of us. Help us to be a scattered people. Help us not to become holy huddles. Help us to open our living rooms, our dining rooms, to people so that they too can experience life-giving Christian community. In Jesus' name, amen. The people that prayed for you this morning, uh, this is what they heard. Uh, there's someone in the room that's just really dealing with some hurts from childhood abuse. We'd love to pray for you. Someone has some teeth problems. We'd love to pray for that. Uh, broken relationships, and someone is just really struggling with some financial need. If that resonates with you, we'd love for you to come down, pray with you down here. If you have a physical need, spiritual need, a little bit of both, we would love to pray for you. If you're online right now and you need prayer, I encourage you to call the church during the week. We would love to meet with you, pray with you, and just to help you along on your journey. God bless you. Come back next week as we continue our journey.